You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're We're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Katie Burke. Today on the show, I have wildlife artist Adam Grimm, past DU Artist of the Year, two-time winner of the Federal Duck Stamp, and many more accolades. Welcome to the show, Adam. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Glad to be on. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. To start, I just kind of want to, I kind of do this with all of my first-time guests, but I just kind of want you to tell us a little bit more about your background growing up and how you got into hunting and wildlife and art as well, and how those things kind of culminated for you and came together? Well, that's a that's pretty a question. Uh, diverse topic. Uh, so, you know, it all started for me, I guess, back growing up. I, you know, I grew up with a father who loved hunting. Um, he was very passionate about deer hunting. This was in Ohio that I grew up. And, um, you know, as I, as I got older, I mean, I, I just always loved to do artwork. Uh, just drawings of, of different things and kind of all the typical stuff that young kids like to draw, uh, you know, cars and trucks and monsters and G.I. Joe guys and you know, all of that kind of stuff. I'm probably dating myself here. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I loved all of that kind of art. And as I, you know, my dad, as I got older, I, I was able to keep up. He started taking me out in the field with him, hunting and fishing. And, uh, you know, you see amazing things when you're out there. You see things that you don't see if you're sitting at home on the couch or so. And so, uh, you know, I guess I, from all of that, I just, I kept getting these different inspirations to try to, uh, of things that I had seen. And I wanted to try to capture some of that just so that I could share it with other people that we were talking to. Um, You know, I'd come home and want to tell my mom or my sisters about what we saw. 
And that was kind of a neat way I could kind of illustrate what we had seen so they could understand it. And so that was sort of where that desire to do the artwork of nature came from. And people seemed to really like it. I mean, I had a lot of people that wanted drawings and stuff that I had done. And so I started doing more of that of that topic. And as I kind of went through different phases with the cars and trucks and the G.I. Joe and the monsters and dragons and all that, as I went through different phases with that and kind of like tired of each thing, I never really tired of drawing the 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 nature, the wildlife. And so um that that's really, you know, sort of what kept me going um with the artwork. And you know, my my passion for hunting and stuff, I mean that's I guess I come by it honestly with from my dad. But um yeah, th- those days didn't spent in the field. I mean, that that really changed me and impacted me. And the more you're out there, the more stuff you see, the more um, you know, things that you get ideas for and want to try to capture. And when I got old and when I was about 13, I actually uh, sold some drawings. So instead of just giving them away, I some people actually my my grandfather was the first person to do it, but he he really wanted a drawing, and I was just going to give it to him. He said, "Well, I think this is good enough. I should pay you something for it." And you know, as a young kid, I thought, "Hmm, I wonder what else Grandpa would would like a drawing of." <laughs> and so so that kind of got me thinking about you know d- doing artwork and actually making some money. And I went to a, my first show when I was about 13 years old, um, sold out of, I think, like everything I had and plus took a bunch of orders. Uh, you know, for a pretty young kid, I mean, I was making a lot of money selling these little drawings. And so um, I, it, that just kind of kept me going even more. And, and it, it just grew and grew. Uh, and I kind of kept going and to, to where I'm at today. You know, entering competitions along the way, and it kind of ups your credentials a little bit. But I just never lost that passion for nature and you know doing artwork of that subject matter. It's just it's yeah. just so many amazing things that you can try to capture with it. So yeah, I can relate a lot actually to your story. I went a different way. I obviously went into museums and that side of the art world, but you know, I grew up. Drawing and hunting, and um, I never, though I laugh, like, is you, like, obviously went the, your parents were probably much happier that you went the more lucrative route, and I was like, I don't want to paint anything that anyone wants me to paint. I only want to paint what I want to paint, so, which doesn't go well for professional art. <laughs> well, a, a quick story, a, a quick story about that. I kind of had that attitude, I guess. Uh, you know, early on, I was just like willing to do whatever people were willing to pay me to do. And and the first show I went to was a craft show. And, um, you know, my mom said, well, you should do artwork that crafty ladies are going to like. And I'm thinking, well, what do crafty ladies like? And I don't even know how the idea came up, but I ended up drawing these little teddy bears in like rocking chairs, like a little boy one with like a little top <laughs> hat and a little girl one with like a little bonnet thing. The teddy bears, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not. I was not into teddy bears or any <laughs> of that kind of stuff. But people, I had had a did a few of them, and I sold all of them right away. And then I had a couple sitting there that someone had bought that they let me keep in the booth. And I think I took like 30 orders, which was great when the money was coming in. But then it came time to have to fulfill all of those orders, <laughs> and it was it was horrible. And I just <laughs> thought, you know, I don't ever want to have to do drawings that I don't want to do like ever again. Uh, now, of course, I've got a family of, you know, with four kids and my wife and I. And so I will do things, you know, that I don't want to do sometimes, but um, I just charge a little more. <laughs> it makes it a little easier. <laughs> On top of that, though, I wonder, because at least with my experience 
um, as a kid growing up, and I grew up in a rural town, and art was not really, you know, something people did. And that was kind of my trajectory all the way up until I went to college and I found other avenues to explore. But Mm -hmm. was there anyone in those years that encouraged you, that inspired you to kind of pursue it as a career? You know, I I mean, I guess my parents had concern because, you know, they, you know, they're looking at my situation like, okay, you know, art doesn't usually work out as a business, right? For most people. I mean, you know, how many parents have a kid that wants to go into something and they just kind of roll their eyes like, oh boy, they're going to end up living in our basement, you know, when they're, when they're 40 years old or something. So my parents had concern, you know, they, they helped me, they encouraged me, they were supportive. They just didn't know, like, you know, is this something someone could actually make money doing? And, you know, it's a very competitive field. I mean, who would love to just sit at home and paint pictures, happy pictures or something? So, you know, it was something and I wasn't that sure about it either, you know, but I was making good money. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, even when I like from 13 on, I was I was working in, in the summertime, you know, drawing and painting uh, while my sisters were going off to work at McDonald's, actually. And um, I was making more doing the artwork in the summer than they were working full time you know, together in the summer. So, so I was doing pretty well, but you know, it's still, is that, is that going to be enough to support a family? And, you know, I, I just didn't know. I mean, I just kind of felt like, well, God gave me this, this ability and this talent, and I'm going to try to use it to the best of my ability to uh, do what I feel like I'm being called to do. And, you know, bringing awareness uh, and attention to God's creations and, you know, the beauty of all of that, that's what I kind of feel like I, I'm, I'm being called to do, just, just to make more people aware and appreciative of what there is. I mean, I do shows all the time where I'll have a painting of a wood duck or something in the booth and someone will come up and inevitably and say, wow, that's a beautiful bird. Where, where are those from? And I'm, I'm like looking around like, they're here. What, what do you mean? You've never seen a wood duck? Like, you know, <laughs> this is one of the most common ducks and they're so beautiful. You've never seen one in person. And so I'll tell them where to go and find them. And then, you know, next year they come back and, you know, they'll be so excited to tell me I went out to that spot and I, and they're so excited about the experience. And, you know, and it's like that, that's someone that is going to care about conservation moving forward. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Like people have this stuff in their own backyards, but, you know, somehow me doing a painting of it makes them appreciate it or more aware of it than they were before. I guess, you know, people get caught up in the busyness of life and, you know, the whole, you know, take time to smell the roses thing. Well, it's kind of like that, you know, I mean, you know, you have to take time to appreciate the the beauty of nature that's all around us. Right. So. Before we get out of these early years, I want to talk about where did you actually start college? I, I didn't, couldn't find that anywhere. Yeah. So I, I attended the Columbus College of Art and Design in Columbus, Ohio. I actually got a really pretty good scholarship to the college which is why I decided to go to that that college. Plus, it wasn't that far from where I grew up. So it was within, you know, it was like two and a half hour driving distance. You know, I mean, and my parents, you know, again, they they said, well, you know, if you're going to do this, we want you to get some kind of a degree. We want, you know, they wanted me to have some sort of job security. And, you know, I mean, I don't blame them. They were trying to do what, what they thought was best. And um, so I went to the art college. I ended up being there for about two and a half years. You know, I, I was not happy there. I mean, I, I guess, you know, it, it, it's like a lot of parents that have kids that want to go into this field or that field. You don't, you know, sometimes they don't really know 
for sure what they want to go into. And so they go to college, I guess, to try to find themselves. And well, I kind of already knew though what I wanted to do. And, you know, the whole idea about getting a degree or something was just so that if I needed to, I have some way I could maybe get a job or get work with that degree. So, but in, in attending that college, yeah, I just wasn't very happy. I mean, they were pushing abstract type work. They were very opposed to the type of artwork I was doing, the realism, you know, wildlife type artwork in general, not every single teacher, but a lot of the teachers. So anyways, you know, I, I was, you know, just frustrated in that I had to put up with a lot of opposition, I guess, at the college. A reason I ask, actually, Adam, is because I relate in just a different way. Um, you know, I went to art school and that was my intention. And I got there and I did about a year in the MFA, pro- I mean, the BFA program. I didn't like it. It kind of turned me off art, actually. And I mean, I still loved art and history and all those things, but I kind of stopped drawing and painting on my own because I just didn't enjoy it anymore from that program. And then my parents obviously tried to get me to do a career. Uh, I was a pharmacy major for a semester, which went awful. And then, um, then I went back and did art history and history and started, I got an internship at a museum and I found a new way of doing it. And I... I find it interesting with people in art careers, um, and I don't know if you have come across other people this way, but it's it's kind of like we have to find our own way through it. Like it's, you can't really just, I don't know if like, sometimes like you expect it to be one thing when you go to these schools and I'm not dissing the schools or anything because I think they're great for some people, but in other ways, like you kind of have to make your career a lot in art. There's just not really a straightforward line for most people. And I find that interesting that when you went to school, that's kind of, you went back, like you figured out what your love really was and it wasn't this, you know? And that was the thing. I mean, you know, in going there, I was doing well. You know, it wasn't that I wasn't doing well in the classes. Right. Um, I was on the, well, they called it the president's list, which I guess is like their high, you know, like class or whatever, like grouping. But you know, it, it was just really hard and frustrating, like I said, dealing with people that were so negative against the kind of artwork I was doing. And, you know, you always think like art people are supposed to be so accepting and embracing of everyone, what everyone likes to do and wants to do. It, it really wasn't that. I mean, it was kind of like if you don't go along with our, what the things that we think, then you're not going to be, you're not a real artist or, you know, we're not going to really support what you're doing. And, and it was, so that was very frustrating. Well, I expressed this frustration to my parents and they said, well, we understand because I was paying for a lot of the class. I mean, you know, whatever wasn't covered by the scholarship was coming from me. I mean, my parents didn't really have the means to help me. So I was actually doing artwork to pay for my way through art college. And so um, my parents told me, though, they said, well, we know you're frustrated and, you know, you feel like it's kind of a waste of money and all. But they said, you know, the only way we would support you leaving without getting your degree. And it would be like if you were to, I don't know, win the federal duck stamp or something. Well, later that year, <laughs> later yeah, that you year won. I won. So. <laughs> yeah, you won. So when, this goes back a little farther, when did you set, I know you, you won the junior duck stamp prior to that, correct? No, actually, I never did. You never uh, did. My, my junior year of high school, I think I came in fourth place nationally. Okay. Um, I was actually really excited to enter my senior year of high school because that was my last year I could enter. 
Well, I went to get started on my painting and come to find out they had moved the the deadline like up by like, I don't know, a month or two or something. And I didn't have time to get a painting done. And so I never entered it my senior year of high school. So, but I was the first artist to ever go from entering and competing in the junior to winning the adult federal. I think I'm still the only one actually ever. I know you're the youngest, but I didn't know if I didn't know that part of it. Yeah. When did you know about the, the, the duck stamp competition? And when did you start kind of putting some focus on entering that? You know, I think it was back in like 1994. I received, uh, it was actually like an NRA magazine, like Insights, I think was like the youth, Mm -hmm. maybe, I think it was the youth NRA magazine they had out. But on the cover was a painting by Bruce Miller of a canvas back that he had won the federal duck stamp with. And I think it's had the title was something like what it takes to win the federal. And I remember reading that and looking at that, looking at that painting, just thinking, wow, I can't believe someone painted this. Like I was so impressed at how realistic it looked and the beauty of it. Um, and so I was really moved by that. And I, I, at that moment, I remember thinking like, this would be, this would be something I would love to try to win one day. And, um, you know, so I kind of started working towards that kind of artwork. Finding out about the junior duck stamp was actually really exciting. I wasn't old enough to enter the adult federal yet. You had to be 18. So it was exciting to be able to have something that I could enter that was sort of like the federal, but it was, you know, obviously a lot different being for kids. But but I remember, you know, like that was kind of when that goal was set in my mind. So did that change your style at all when you started working towards that? You know, not not really. I, it's interesting. I mean, I, I've always liked the realism type of art. You know, when I was real young, I remember watching Bob Ross on PBS uh, with the happy trees and all of that. It was kind of funny. Every art kid loved it. Everybody loved Bob Ross. <laughs> yes. I, you know, I, I just liked watching him do the paintings, even if they weren't always maybe that great. Like sometimes, you know, he would, I still remember him doing a little house or shed type of a thing. And it, the perspective was really wonky on it. But, yeah, but it still just was so relaxing. <laughs> it was, it was relaxing. And, and at this point, I did not do any painting. I just did drawing. And so I remember watching him and feeling like, I think I could do that. Like, I remember sitting there just watching him paint, thinking, you know, I, I, or I'd, I'd like to try. And I remember for that year for Christmas, I actually asked Santa for oil paints and, you know, the palette and like all the things like he had. And um, so I started trying to paint stuff when I, you know, I, I did get that for Christmas that year. And I started trying to do paintings with that stuff like he did. Not as easy as he made it look. You know, when he was using the big three inch brush and the putty knife to put snow on the mountains and everything, you know, there was something about like I, I started really liking how the paints flow, like how they worked. And I started using them more how I wanted to paint stuff. I, I stopped trying to do like the kind of quick gimmicky, you know, uh, techniques that he sort of did a little bit with the snow and the, the you know, the trees and everything. I, you know, I, I went to more of a realistic type of a style. And I still remember the first painting that I did that it kind of clicked on how I can achieve the look I want. And it, it involved letting the paint dry and then going back and working over top of it in thin layers. Um, and that was when, when I really figured out like kind of how to control the paints. And then once I did that, you know, then it was just a matter of, you know, learning to mix the colors and getting the the effects that I wanted um, 
with those techniques and um, you know just my my ability to draw and understand color and contrast those were now kind of my limitations you know once you learn how to use the medium you're not really bound by the medium so that was sort of exciting when i kind of figured out how to control the paints more you and your dog are a team fuel is best in the field and in life with purina pro plan sport Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Were you mostly self-taught as a kid? Did you have anyone? Yeah. Wow, I didn't yeah. know that. No, I, I I had an art teacher in high school that was that was really pretty good and and was uh, you know very um, supportive and you know really really liked what I was doing, the artwork I was producing. Uh, so that that went a long way, and she you know she was very influential as far as that goes. But as far as the like learning the artwork, I mean. I used to get books out of the library all the time and read and I, you know, anything I could watch or I would study people's paintings that I would see, um, especially people that I looked up to, you know, the some of the art artists that I was really inspired by their work. You know, the Hopmans come to mind, Dan Smith, Bob Steiner. I mean, all of these people were people that I was very influenced by when I was young, even Robert Bateman and Carl Brenders and you know all of those those artists, uh, some of which I've had the privilege of meeting and getting to know, uh, others not as much. But you know, it, it was you know seeing good artwork always inspired me to want to do more artwork. So yeah, that's just amazing. I can't I I can't imagine that. Like I had a local artist from my hometown that I was lucky enough to know and her to help me and teach me, but to learn how to use the paints and all that kind of like how to. Just the little the little techniques like mixing colors and things you're talking about. You did that on your own. That's that's amazing. It was a lot <laughs> of time. Lot. I mean, it, and I made a lot of mistakes. You know, like anybody would. I mean, it it definitely helps if you have someone that can teach you and show you. You know, I mean, my parents didn't do artwork. Right. Yeah. I just didn't really have anyone that really knew. You know, and so I would I would reach out and ask artists that I had gotten to know. Uh, Rob Leslie was another one. He he was 
at the time, he was like the biggest name artist I had ever met. And, you know, uh, past Ducks Unlimited Artist of the Year as well and everything now. But, you know, and I would ask him questions and he would tell me, oh, well, you know, you can use liquid with the oil paints and it'll blend. So, you know, they helped with with kind of telling me about things that I, I mean, I, you know, the internet wasn't really that much of a no, thing. No, there's no the way time. you would have known besides just playing with it. Yeah. And then now, I mean, yeah, it, it would be so much easier now because you could go on these forums and you could just ask questions and there, you'll, you'll get a ton of different answers. But, you know, at least there's people that would be giving answers. You know, I didn't have anything. I remember the first time someone showed me like when you're oil painting that you can paint and then you can take a rag and just wipe it away and then go back and oh, paint yeah. on top of that. Like, and there's still color. Like, I remember that being like a revolution. <laughs> well, I've had, I've had paintings that I've worked on. Uh, I still remember the head of this turkey that I had painted and I was working on it, I don't know, for like two days. Yeah. And I just was not liking how it was going. And this was I mean, this was a while ago now, but you know, my I knew my wife at the time and we were married and everything. And so she had been coming in once in a while to see how it was going and looking at it. And the next time I think she came in, I had just wiped it completely away. I was just starting over. And she came in, she said, oh, What happened? And she was like panicked almost. And I said, I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. I just took it off, just took the whole thing off. Now the acrylics are much harder to yeah, do. Yeah, so that say with now that you've used acrylic. How, yeah, so yeah. much faster. But does it scare you a little bit now that you do acrylics because of that? Uh, you know, I, there's workarounds like to everything, right? So yeah, okay, they they uh, they dry really fast. They're like immediate and maybe not as forgiving because you can't just wipe them off. But they're not that hard to paint over because they're pretty opaque. And so you know, if I had the same situation, I would just paint it out now and just paint over top of that. And but I, they're definitely faster. That, which is why I'm, and they're supposed to be safer and everything. The fumes are, you know, supposed to be safer. I don't really know. My memory is terrible. I, I like to blame it on the paints. <laughs> so, you know, but the acrylics, you know, they're, I actually really enjoy working in them. I like that I can start something in the morning and get at least a section of it, you know, like to fruition before I'm done. You know, with the oil paints, I could only take it so far and then I had to leave it and let it dry. And then I had to come back like the next day or the day after that, you know, to try to work on right. it more. So, um, yeah, and with the level of detail that you're doing, I, yeah, I can see where that would be extremely helpful. Whereas with you're doing the detail you're doing in oil, that would take, it'd be tedious. Yeah. I had paintings that took me like five months to do. I mean, there was one called Faithful that actually was a Ducks Unlimited print, uh, Black Lab holding a Drake Mallard. I have a story about that painting. Yeah, actually. that was like a four and a half month <laughs> paining, but that was oils. Oh, I wow. mean, if I had to do that same painting today using acrylics, I could probably do that painting in about two and a half months, you know? So definitely a lot faster and, you know, time is money, as they always say, but doing a painting is a lot like doing one of those big puzzles. Not that I've really mm -hmm. done much in the way of puzzles, but, you yeah. know, you start a puzzle and you, you kind of just want to see it done. Like you want to just, finish putting those little pieces right. in where they go and see it all like look how, how it looks all together. I'm the same way with the paintings and they kind of are like doing a puzzle, but it just takes a lot of time. I mean, did a lot of planning, you know, starting with the stuff in the background and you got, you kind of have to figure out the workflow for that particular painting because it might be completely different than another painting, you know, uh, as far as how you have to approach it. So it, each one is kind of a puzzle. And every time I go to start a painting, it's a little scary until I get going on it because I think like, right. all right, here we go. Is Am I making the right choices and how I'm going to do this or is it going to cause problems? Or, you know, I, I rarely ever ruin a painting because I put a lot of planning in ahead of time, but 
I've definitely made more work for myself depending on how I approach it, you know, than if maybe I had done it a different way sometimes. I mean, I'm getting better at that too still. So So I want to talk to you a little bit about there's a few things that we haven't gotten to, which um, that happens when in this uh, in podcasts. But yeah, um, go ahead. I do want to talk to you about your prep for your pictures because it is it's something that's very specific to this kind of art and it's specific to you as well. So I want you kind of explain to our listeners what actually goes in, like before you even start painting, because I don't yeah. think everyone actually understands the amount of work that that involves. Well, I spend a tremendous amount of time wearing a ghillie suit, which is very bothersome and uncomfortable, hard to move in. Uh, but you know, I, I'm photographing wild birds in the wild, right? So you have to blend into your surroundings. I've got expensive camera equipment that I'm taking out. Um, you know, I mean, it's hard to make something look kind of photorealistic without having some good photos to work from. Now, it's it would be almost impossible to capture anything I'm painting in a photo, right? But I can capture a lot of different elements in a lot of photos and then kind of tie them all together in and carefully plan out the design and composition. But you know, you have to have consistent lighting and you know, it basically involves taking thousands and thousands of photos every spring, enduring cold and ice. And it's a lot like duck hunting, but with a camera. And so um, I'm, I'm putting a lot of time into doing, you know, like I said, that's really one of the hardest physical parts of what I do. I mean, that, you know, there's a there's a level of endurance, I think, and tolerance that you have to have for the cold and to be able to sit, you know, in sometimes in water or on your knees in muck or whatever it is for like a long time. I mean, I'll get out there before daylight when it's totally pitch black. I'll get completely set up, ready to go. And then I kind of let the world wake up around me and I pray that the ducks don't know that I'm even there. And so, you know, it seems like when when you're there before it's daylight and they kind of get used to you being there, you look like a clump of grass with like a hole in the end of the, you know, from from the lens, you have like a hole in the in the grass. But it's amazing how close sometimes I can actually get the birds to come. And you want them relaxed, right? Like you don't want it's not like when you're hunting and they land in the decoys, like they're all alert. You want them like they they don't think you're there. Yeah, I mean that's the thing because I'm trying to create a painting or paintings, right, where where you're like a part of their world and they don't know you're there, right? So yeah, I mean, if, if I wanted pictures of nervous alert ducks, yeah, I mean, you know, like that's what that's usually what you see when you're hunting, right? I mean, by the time they get within 30 or, or so yards, they're kind of realizing something is up. You know, the decoys don't look that real anymore. And maybe there's, maybe you show more than what you thought you did as far as your camouflage. You know, as good as some of these camouflage manufacturers are, I mean, a ghillie suit just offers a three-dimensional uh, ability to hide that nothing else can do. And so, yeah, you know, and, and of course, you know, you're dealing with all the other stuff that you normally would have to deal with, like hunting. I mean, leaky waders and, you know, your glove gets wet or whatever. I mean, and, and, and the whole time now you're trying to operate a camera that has all these tiny little buttons and you have to be paying attention to all of these different, you know, settings all the time, you know, the ISO, the exposure, all of these different things. And, also then tracking the birds as they're approaching, like flying in or flying out, or, you know, you have to keep the little focus dot on their head uh, as opposed to like just the side of the bird. And you have to make sure your aperture set correctly so that you're getting 
you know, the whole bird in focus as opposed to just like a portion of the bird. So there's all these different things. And you're fighting, dealing, like I said, with the cold and the wind and all of these different elements. I'm sure that's a problem. Um, and we have camera. to pay attention to what, what the sun angle is going to be because, you know, it, you have to have the sun kind of on the birds or, or at least whatever your desired sun angle is. Uh, duck hunting, you don't have to worry about hardly any of that. You know, it's, um, it makes hunting ducks with a shotgun seem like so easy. I mean, it, you know, imagine trying to use like a scoped rifle uh, to hunt ducks out of the air. It's it's kind of like that when you're using these camera lenses. Um, I think people think it's like a really easy thing to just take pictures until they try it. And it's like, whoa, yeah, this it's it's hard to track a bird and try, try to keep that focus dot on their head while they're in flight. You know, it's it's a it's a learned kind of skill that you know people can learn it. It just takes a lot of doing i mean it's it's not easy so, so did you start doing that when you moved to um north dakota oh uh, yeah to, to south dakota yeah south dakota. you know that was really what that was one of the biggest driving factors i mean in ohio we had some marshes around that i could go to um you know they were like an hour away they were only so so uh i mean i you know i would usually i, I could get a handful of decent photos and that was kind of it i mean i just didn't have that many birds a lot of times uh it was it was just too hard because because of, of the distance here i can literally go like just right outside our door and have places right here with all kind of ducks and so it it, it moving to a spot like this i mean we're right in the prairie pothole region you know the duck factory that you always hear about and uh you know we this is like where the ducks want to live so we have you know, a lot of these ducks that people see in the fall migration, they're here year round. Well, not year round. They're not here in the winter. Not much is here in the winter, but summer. I mean, you know, the middle of summer driving to town or something, you'll, you can see canvasbacks, redheads, pintail, you know, gadwall, widgeon. And, and a lot of times they'll have babies with them, which is really neat to see because, you know, this is where they're, they're reproducing. Uh, so. Yeah, all the people down south. I mean, you know, this area that I live is where a lot of their ducks are coming from. So it's really neat to to be somewhere like here and see the things that we get to see. Because growing up in Ohio, we didn't have that. You know, it was very different. I was wondering that. Um, so let's. We need to probably talk about the duck stamp a little bit. Um, sure. So you won it in '99, right? That yes. was when you were 21. And then again in 13? Yeah, 13 yeah, in 2013. 14? Yeah, it was the 2013 contest. It became the 2014-15 stamp. Right, uh, okay. And that one was with a canvas back, which was really neat because I told you that story about Bruce Miller's canvas back. So it was kind of neat yeah, right. to tie it all together, you know, like, I mean, to be inspired from his canvas back and then to go on to be able to win it with one uh, of the same species was really exciting. So you got, obviously that first one changed your career, you know, in, in 99, like you left school, you like had the ability to start this as a career. Yep. And then you go, you know, 13, 14 years. And what was, how does it change from that second win? And also you hit a... A status like well, I mean, there's not that many people who've won twice either. I mean, you're still you're on a short list now. Yeah, as well. yeah, no, that definitely makes a big difference. You know, because you kind of go from you know maybe it was a fluke kind of a thing. I mean, that's you know that's what a lot of times people think if you've only won something one time. Once you've won it more than once, and and especially when you're pretty consistently in that top group, you know, of paintings, yeah. um, you know, it's not really a fluke thing at that point, and so. So for me, that was kind of a nice thing to be able to to have that more than one 
when. Probably especially because you were only 21 the first time. Yeah. And now well, you're an adult professional artist. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. It was only my third time entering. So I'm thinking like, oh, you know, maybe I'll be able to win this again pretty soon. And and yeah, I mean, it's, you know, here's the, the thing with the Federal Duck Stamp, I think a lot of people don't realize is even if you have the best painting in the contest, doesn't mean you're going to win, you know? And no. sometimes a painting will win that's not even in your top 30, you know, as you're looking at all the artwork. Well, people need to understand that the judges always artists. And it, it's, it's, yeah, it's not necessarily, the judges are, they come from a variety of backgrounds and that doesn't necessarily include art or wildlife. Yeah, no, art art can be very subjective. You know, I mean, it's not as subjective as people like to think sometimes, especially with something like the Federal Duck Stamp Contest. So the artists that consistently enter, that consistently do well, especially, can look at the paintings that are in the contest and know, okay, it should be one of those three, right? I mean, you can right. kind of look and see it. You can tell, yeah, those are probably the three or four best paintings in the contest. You know, one of those should win. And there's years that one of those will win and the other ones will come in second and third, right? So it's like, okay, well, the judges did a pretty good job. And maybe the one they picked wasn't your favorite, but I mean, the one that won was a deserving painting. Right. And then there's years that none of those four will be in the top. Uh, maybe one or two of them will get voted out in the first round. And so you're just kind of left looking at it like, what is going on? <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's a very frustrating contest. It's not like competing in, you know, I don't know, a, a sport like baseball where... If you score the most runs, you win. Like, you know, it's not really debatable. I mean, obviously you scored those runs. You know, this this is not that way. I mean, you know, like I said, you can, you know, you always do the best painting you can do. And and my goal is always to do the a painting that is so good that if they deny it, then people are gonna say there was some kind of injustice. Like that's that's the goal <laughs> in my mind, right? When I'm doing a painting. Uh, it doesn't mean I'm gonna end up with the best painting. Like I said, I can look at the paintings that are in the contest and know. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, those are good paintings. You know, I I may um uh, may not have a chance this year because of that one or those two paintings or and that's just, you know, all of the artists that are especially the people that are like I said that are are more consistent in how they finish, usually they can we can all kind of look at those paintings and know, you know. So, right. you know, but you know, there's a big element of luck that ends up playing into it. I mean, you know, you have to have a solid painting and you have to be kind of lucky at the same time. Uh, and so I always say like, it really usually comes down to like one of 20 or 30 paintings and really depending on the judges, any one of them could win. I mean, right. I've seen paintings voted out in the first round that, you know, three of the five judges didn't even think it was good enough to be in the contest. And then it comes back to get a high enough score that it wins. You know, you did, like, it's hard to even fathom how that could happen. Uh, but you know that's the kind of stuff that happens in the federal. So the federals, it, it's a it's a tough one, and and it's one that can really dishearten a lot of artists because it's not the only way to be, be a successful wildlife artist. I mean, there are no, plenty of ways. For sure. Yeah. I mean, and well, we should probably talk about like you were DU Artist of the Year for nineteen. You're the one coming up, and you've been. I mean, we make money that way going through not just Ducks Unlimited's catalog, merchandise catalogs, but Delta Waterfowl, Turkey Federation. Yeah. There's state duck stamp competitions. There, There's a lot of ways to continue as an artist and it doesn't have to be the federal. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, getting the exposure is like the, the, the exposure you get from winning the federal is great. I mean, I have to say like that, you know, that's probably what it's worth more than anything. Just being able to have those credentials, uh, you know, it, 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 justifies 
the artwork and the prices you're charging, you know, in, in a lot of people's minds, because you know, now you're you're like an established uh commodity, so to speak. So so that's sort of how I kind of look at a lot of these things. I mean, like the federal, you know, but also um, you know, like you named off some of these other conservation organizations. Um, yeah, the more stuff you have with those different groups, and they all have different uh members and people that come to their events. And so you're you're reaching more and more people. You know, that exposure is is you know very beneficial for an artist because it gets your name out there, it gets your artwork out there. And once people start seeing a handful of things from you that they're really impressed with, they start looking more for your stuff. And maybe they actually look up your website. It's like if you hear a musician and you really like, you know, this song, and then you hear another song by the same person, you're like, wow, I really like their music. Let me see if I can, if they have any CDs or, you know, you start searching them out a little bit. And that's for an artist, that's kind of what you need, you know, because that, you know, that's the kind of thing, you know, there's only so many shows, especially in the era of COVID now, uh, <laughs> there's only so many shows that you can go to. And, you know, I mean, traveling is not always that easy and it's not that cheap always either. So, you know, having other means of getting exposure for your work uh, is is a huge benefit. Right. And it's all kind of unique into this world. Like most other artists don't have these organizations that to help promote and get that word out. Because the people who come to, you know, Ducks Limit dinners or any of the other dinners and then buy your prints won't necessarily go to an art show. Right. And, but they'll still find their way to you, even though they're not necessarily the people who would, you know, go that way. Yeah, because I mean, the people that do go to a Ducks Unlimited event or to an art show, vice versa, right? You know, if they, whoever buys a painting or a print of mine takes it, hangs it up in their home, well, they obviously, well, probably, right, have friends that come over and walk in their house and, you know, maybe see that painting and they might be moved by it too. And so, you know, just getting your work out there is is a huge help. You know, whether it's the person who bought it or someone who's just seeing it somewhere. I recently got a commission painting from someone who saw a print, actually, of the the one that's the Ducks Limited Artist of the Year piece for this year, the pintails with the ducklings. They saw that at a actually it was at a store on display, and they loved it. But they really wanted something along those lines that with a different duck species, and so. They contacted me and you know, we worked out the details and everything. But that's, you know, that's a job, like a whole new painting that I would not have been doing if it weren't for that exposure. So, you know, you just have to be grateful for everything you can get. And, you know, there's a lot of good artists. There's a lot of, um, you know, people with a lot of talent out there. And so, you know, I'm just trying to make my own way and support my family. And, you know, it's, it's a... Uh, it's, sometimes it's a struggle. Sometimes it's it's better than other times. You know, you you just kind of have to just go with it. And you know, I, my prayer that I always say is, you know, God, if you want me to keep doing what I think you want me to do, you know, you got to help me out a little bit here. So, <laughs> you know, to kind of keep me to be able to keep doing this. So, because there are times that I think it'd be easier just to have a normal job. You know, going to work. You know, punching a time clock, all of that. You know, the job security would be great, but. I love what I do and I love being able to have time with my kids and, you know, sort of be my own boss. And, and I love the, I love producing work of things that I'm passionate about, you know, with the nature. Speaking of your kids, I have one last question, which, yeah. Um, so your daughter, Madison, right? She's yeah. won the junior duck stamp twice the first year, the same year you won your second federal and then 
this year, correct? Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. I mean, it is too bad because with the whole COVID stuff, she missed out on a lot of things that she would normally have gotten to do. Uh, with the wood duck painting she won with this year. But yeah, so the first time she won the Federal Junior, she became the youngest ever to win the contest, the Federal Junior Duck Stamp. And um, she won it with a canvas back. And she won it the same year that I won the adult Federal you know, federal Duck Stamp in 2013 with a canvas back also. Um, and, you know, not that year, but, you know, I have, I hold the youngest ever title for the adult contest. So, so she has the youngest ever title for the junior. And, you know, we had those other things like the species and stuff in common. Like that was just, it That's was so neat. neat. You know, so I, what does that mean to you yeah. to have your daughter pursuing that and doing well? Like, I can't imagine. We, you know, I, I'm, all of my kids love nature. Sometimes I think my wife stresses out about it a little bit because, you know, my kids are always out, you know, I mean, they're catching snakes and, you know, they're, they're into stuff that a lot of other kids, I guess, aren't as into. But, you know, we, we all love hunting, you know, I mean, you know, I go hunting with all of the kids and um, sometimes my wife comes along even and hunts, you know, we're, I mean, we kind of live and breathe the whole waterfowling life. All of my kids love the waterfowl. Madison is so into it. She, you know, she still has some of the money, you know, from her winnings and everything. And she really wanted an aviary, which I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I've always thought about it because I'm doing wild waterfowl art, like, it'd be really neat to actually have some of those species in an aviary where it'd be a lot easier to photograph them. Yeah. Maybe you wouldn't have to wear the whole ghillie suit, you know, but I always kind of thought like, I don't really know anything about it. I don't know anything about how to build one, how to have water, you know, to buy the ducks. Like it always seemed like a mountain too, too big to climb, I guess. I, I just never, I mean, especially with living here, I thought, well, what's what, why would you bother? You know, we have all these ducks around here anyways, but I told her, I said, well, if you, you know, if you want to lay some of the money out for the building stuff, I will help you build it. And so this summer we built this whole aviary and uh, she has some friends that are really into it uh, that she was talking with about it. And so we we built this whole thing and we have, you know, pintails and canvas backs and wood ducks and mandarin ducks and hoodamergansers and I don't know, all these different ducks she has now. And it is really the coolest thing. But, you know, her 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 passion for the birds, I mean, might you know, I don't, I don't, I can't say it rivals mine, but, but it's pretty high, you know. And so I don't know what she's going to end up doing uh, if she keeps doing the artwork or if she, you know, she loves, you know, the hands-on stuff with her ducks. And I mean, I could see her, you know, one day maybe working for Ducks Unlimited or something like that. So yeah, yeah she's she's very passionate about nature too. So well, that's amazing. Well, we probably should wrap up, but before I let you go, is there anything like one last thing you'd like to say? Oh gosh, well, I just want to thank Ducks Unlimited and all of the members for all of the work you guys have done through the years. I mean, this area that I live uh, is sort of one of the target areas for Ducks Unlimited, so we have a lot of DU projects. I mean, I can see exactly how the money being raised is being spent here on the ground and the difference that it's making to the birds. I mean, you know, it, it's incredible to see. If you ever get a chance to come to the northeast part of South Dakota, uh, you'll see it too. I mean, it's it's incredible. So maybe not in the wintertime. You can't see as much in the <laughs> winter, but, but the rest of the year is great. Um, <clears throat> yeah, if anyone's interested and want to see more of my artwork, uh, check out my website. It's just adamgrim.com. You know, all kind of stuff on there. If you want to contact me, you know, that comes directly to my email. Uh, I'd be happy to, you know, talk with you about anything if you're interested in anything. So um, I just want to thank everyone for their time and for 
taking the time to listen today. Yeah, thanks thanks for coming on. It was, it's been really fun. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. So it's been a pleasure, guys. Thanks, everybody, for joining the show today. Thanks to our special guest, Adam Grimm. Thanks to our producer, Chris Isaac. And thanks to you, our listeners, for supporting wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash dupodcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.